0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. I am your host, Rob Clark, and with me as always, the one and only, the magnificent, the knower of all, Mr. Ed Katz.
1: I feel like I'm on the Johnny Carson show, thank you.
0: Here's what the crowd thinks, Ed. They're happy that you're here. That's so kind of you. I'll send you money tomorrow. (laughs) Well, our, our topic today, I'm excited for this one. This isn't one in the commercial world that I think gets talked about very much, but I think there's a lot of business that happens under this uh, this subject that we're going to talk about today, and, and that, that subject is commercial storage uh, and some tips on uh, providing this service and, and maybe how you should handle those goods and getting them from wherever they might be into your space and, and delivering them back out. So we're just going to have a conversation. I'm going to fire some questions at you and kind of, you know, dive into that, that wealth of, of knowledge that you have and let you share it with everybody. You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Fire <laughs> away. Okay. So we know that, uh, you know, you owned a moving company for a couple of decades almost. And so you, you obviously had to have experience with commercial commercial storage. Would that be fair to say? that is very fair to say. So, how much warehouse space you were in the Atlanta market? So, in that market, how much space did you need to, you know, be be able to provide those services to your clients back in the day?
1: Back in the day, we had 45,000 square feet of racked rack storage, no vaults, no containers, just racks.
0: Okay. Didn't really need it for that type of storage. No, it was just commercial Office
1: furniture is always stored and computers.
0: So I think about warehouses today and most of them are, you know, anywhere between 24 and 32 feet high. What, what, what did you have back then when you went up on a rack?
1: Yeah. Ours were like 18 to 22 feet high. I don't remember for sure. We had four racks and we have a, forklift, of course, and we palletized everything and stretch wrapped it back in the day. We didn't know any better, but
0: we did. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, sounds like some knowledge is going to be shared on stretch wrap coming up. Yeah, it's coming. You're right. Uh, What what are some tips, Ed, you would give, just kind of out of the chute, about commercial storage, some things?
1: Well, there are a lot of tips, and I would start off by, at the beginning, whether it's a local commercial move, any move, warehouse storage, Call and confirm a lot of things before d day, at least 24 hours before the pickup. Validate and confirm the date, the time, the address, the building name, the contact, contact cell phone numbers, more than one contact. I'm amazed how many of my clients over the years told me they didn't normally validate that information beforehand and then of course the crew when they go out go to the wrong building wrong address they forgot that it was southwest and not you know they went northeast instead of southwest of a road or street or highway whatever so it's really important to call and confirm the other thing is this nobody likes to be blindsided nobody likes last minute surprises we 100 of the time confirmed when we called in advance to confirm all that information we just want to remind you included in our price to you our estimate our rates is our limited liability of 60 cents per pound per article because once when we didn't do that the customer says to the supervisor On a Friday evening when we're not around, I'm not releasing my furniture to you at 60 cents per pound per article. I want replacement value. And at that moment, the supervisor didn't know what to do. So to be proactive and prevent a problem from becoming a crisis, we 100% of the time also made sure that the shipper knew this is what we're going to have you sign the release for that make sense yeah
0: I think that makes great sense because I think you know we would agree that the sales representative probably should have went over those options uh, because valuation is going to be different in a warehouse than it would be in transit so hopefully that had been expressed and explained to the client but I agree with you a lot of times you know they they may say no at that particular time maybe they had some internal conversations within you know their leadership and at some point somebody said you know You need to get that, and that's just a reminder for that person to go ahead and maybe pull that trigger and and change that valuation from a $0.60 per pound per article to that full coverage that they may want, depending on the goods that they're storing, in the warehouse.
1: Right. I have a question for you. Yeah. Real-life situation. Happened only one time, but it's worth bringing up in case our listeners have this experience. We were doing a move in northeast Atlanta uh, Friday evening, 6 o'clock, I got a call from the supervisor, which was unusual. Normally they were able to handle situations on their own without escalating it up. And he tells me that the relocation consultant representing this large insurance company said they're not releasing the furniture at anything, not any additional value or 60 cents per pound per article, that the way they work with movers all over the United States is this. This is the relocation consultant now having a conversation with me, owner of Peachtree Boovers. She says, at the end of the move, if there's no damage, we're gonna release the shipment at 60 cents per pound per article. However, if there's any damage, then we're gonna buy replacement value insurance. I said, what? That's, that's crazy. That's like having a brand new automobile you're driving it and you don't buy insurance until after you have an accident I, you know I'm thinking to myself what planet are you from and she said that's how we work with all the movers nationwide and I've never had anybody object or complain that if you want any more work in the future from us you'll do that I said well you got two you have actually three choices you can release it right now at 60 cents per pound per article You could put in a valuation, which you're going to be charged an additional, I think it was $5 per $1,000 valuation with a deductible. Or you can do nothing, and we will close the doors on our trucks and come back to our base. I guess I was not in the customer service relationship building business at that time, but she (laughs) – that's crazy. Anyhow, she released it at 60 cents per pound per article. She said what she said because guess what? She got away with it. She did that wherever she did a move and the movers rolled that, rolled over and, and did, did that. That's that's just insane. That's crazy if you ask me. Yeah, I've never
0: on. I've never heard of anything like that. And and I would think most movers would not would do the same thing you did. Absolutely.
1: I hope so. Absolutely. Not according to her.
0: <laughs> well, Ed, let me ask you this, uh, related to commercial storage. Uh, all movers, we, we know that we need to note you know, pre-existing condition of furniture and, and things, electronics, if we see any kind of damage, to a shipper if, if we're doing a move, right? But uh, what else should we do when it comes to commercial storage related to capturing the items that we have?
1: Well, in addition to taking an inventory and noting the pre-existing condition in the space before you touch the furniture and electronics, I think you need to have the supervisor walk with the shipper, with the contact, and note the pre-existing condition of the floors, the walls, the doors, the elevators, anything that you're going to pass through this real property. You should have a form or some way of capturing the pre-existing conditions so that you don't get a call the next day or the next week. Hey, you damaged this, you damaged that. That's part of minimizing your risk of claims. Do you agree? And then the yeah. other thing is they should also be prepared to put down extensive building protection, <coughs> excuse me, not throughout the inside of the old space, the origin, but at least if there's a park, parquet floor or a fancy marble floor in the reception room, yeah, you're going to protect that. But also all the common areas in the building where you're going to pass through, the from the double doors on the outside hallway to the elevator, inside the elevator, from the elevator exit downstairs, out to the truck. If you're going in finished space, not a freight corridor, you want to protect the walls and the floor. You know, obviously we highly recommend Paul to protect to protect carpet and finished floors. And if if, uh, any of our listeners have matadors to protect the main entrance doors, which are highly susceptible to damage, and to elevator entrances with matadors.
0: Yeah, I think matadors are fantastic.
1: You're wonderful, Rob.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I forgot you're the guy with those. Yeah, love matadors. <laughs> okay, Ed, if the furniture – and this can sometimes happen because you're coming from one type of client or climate in the office space into the truck, into a warehouse – um, what if the there's some moisture or some condition change to the furniture once you get it off the truck and into the warehouse? Is there some kind of practice or, you know, what, what, a recommendation you would have for, for how you should handle this type of situation?
1: I don't know if Houston, Texas is like Atlanta, Georgia, but I think uh, when I had my moving company in the summer, at least uh, one hour every day it rained. It could be sunshine, clear sky, next thing you know, it rains, and then it's, hot and sunny again so a lot of times when we brought furniture into storage it was wet it was damp and so first thing is you never want to start wrapping anything that's wet or damp we know that right and um, we would dry it off with uh, Turkish cloth rags or towels and let it sit in the warehouse that was thoroughly dry before we started putting it to storage I have a client Called Nagley Moving and Storage in Elmira, New York, and they have brought up a really good point. This this is a guy, his name is Bo Roscoe, and uh, he goes many steps further than than we ever did. In the summer, especially, you know, the furniture in a moving van with a especially with a fiberglass roof, those trucks bake. I mean, it's like being in an oven. So here you have the furniture being transferred, transported from the shipper's house or from the, sorry, from the office building to the warehouse in a truck that's like an oven. And then you go into a warehouse that's going to be several degrees cooler. What he does is a hundred percent of the time, whether it's damp, wet or not, he has the furniture sit on the warehouse floor in a staging area to give it at least 24 hours to adjust to the humidity and the temperature of the warehouse and that brilliant and to acclimate itself to that environment before he handles it in the warehouse. I thought that was brilliant.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's very smart because we all know wood wood uh, still needs to breathe and it does contract and expand with, with weather. So I, I think that's a, a great idea. Um, Let me ask you this. What is the best practice? I think I have an idea of, you know, how you should inventory furniture when you bring it in. I I would think, and you can tell me if you agree, some type of coding, whether a a barcode, a QR code, followed with some photography of what those pieces look like when you take custody of them, uh, so that you can have that as a reference when you deliver out. And I think that also works well for, People who might want to access inventory, they can kind of help you identify what they want out of that inventory if it's not all coming out at once. Do you kind of agree with that? Well, I
1: I, I agree 100%. And thank God, when I had my moving company, that technology was just coming into play, barcoding, videotaping, taking pictures. So we got away with, I almost said murder. We got away with a lot (laughs) We did not inventory anything. We just did bulk storage and stretch wrapped it and put it on pallets and placed it up on the racks and never had to worry. And if a customer thought they wanted a sofa or something, they would come to our warehouse and say, can you pull down those several pallets there? We know there's a sofa under some of the wrapping. of one of those. So we can look at them. We're on the clock. We love doing that. That's not going to fly today. You know, sooner or later, if you're a moving company with storage, you're going to have to barcode, you're going to have to videotape, you're going to have to have a website that they can go to if they want to see what furniture is being stored at your facility. But there's still a lot of movers that were like the moving company I had, but that was 20 years ago, that are still in the dark ages. But sooner or later, in order to be competitive, they're going to have to get the technology that we just talked about then that's barcoding and and take take pictures
0: let me ask you this ed in the moving industry um a lot of movers call this product stretch wrap some call it shrink wrap is there a correct term name for this uh, i know know movers
1: Movers, movers love to call stretch wrap two words stretch wrap they love to call it shrink wrap. Well, in the heat, it does shrink, but that's not what that is. It's really stretch wrap.
0: Well, and well, let me ask you this. Regardless of what they call it, is it safe to use this when you're wrapping furniture that's going to be stored in a warehouse?
1: And, you know, I wrote a book on do as I say, not as I did. This is going to be one of those do as I say, not as I did. We didn't know that we didn't know. We stretch wrapped everything that came into our warehouse, but this was again, dead bulk storage of furniture and equipment that rarely went back into the office environment. So it didn't matter. But in this day and age, I've talked to many of my clients and they all agree that you should never use stretch wrap on leather, vinyl, crushed velvet, velour, suede, and even wood. Because it will build up moisture and ruin the furniture. And they said only use clean, dry furniture pads around the furniture. And to secure it, most movers do it the the lazy, easy way. And that is they they tape the pads to the pads. And they wrap the packing tape around it. As a former owner of a moving company, we never allowed our employees to put tape on pads because when you pull the tape off in the future, it pulls the stitching out of the pad, which means all that batting inside starts moving around, and you you lose the, the value of the pad. It's just material. doesn't have any cushioning. So we taught our employees when they blanket wrap something in and. and wrapped it with stretch wrap or whatever we did. Again, no stretch wrap. Um, <laughs> to use the the big black rubber bands and secure the pads with that, which is harder to do, but that's even better. And I have um, a client in Florida, in Orlando, who said that, you know, again, for leather, vinyl, crushed velvet, velour, suede, and, and some wood, don't even use... Furniture pads, because they can, if they get humid and, and wet from the humidity, they could bleed through onto material. He says, use paper pads.
0: Ah, kind of like an overseas pads. move.
1: Right, okay. and, 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 and everybody knows this. You don't ever want to put packing tape on any furniture, because you know darn well, if you can get it off in the yeah. future, it's going to pull the finish off. So that we all agree, right?
0: Absolutely. And you made me think about those rubber bands. I, I thought you might go there because I remember seeing a lot of those. They're used on uh house of goods vans. You know, you always remember that driver would have those hooks with all the different kinds of size rubber bands that he would use when he padded something. So that's a great idea. I kind of forgot about utilizing those.
1: Yeah. Well, the rubber bands I'm talking about, they're really inexpensive. They came in small, medium and large, and they were cut up inner tubes of tires, of truck tires. or car oh, tire wow. tires. And, they're, and the problem with rubber bands is they ultimately snap when you're using them because rubber, when it gets old, gets brittle and dries out and, and breaks. You know. So, uh, in, invariably, they were... Everyone that's ever worked on a on a unloading a truck has gotten snapped, <laughs> slapped, slapped by a rubber band. That, sure, that but those really do work, and that's what we used all the time. And they had a shelf life, as I said, and we were constantly replacing them. But they, they, they work, and 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 that's what we would recommend.
0: Now, when you had goods in your warehouse back in the day, did you ever have issues uh, with water damage, with some moisture?
1: Thank God we did not. And I attribute that to, I am a fanatic about preventative maintenance. And I would uh, mandate and order <laughs> our landlord to have a roofer inspect our roof every year. Because I um, had several uh, rental homes in Atlanta, which I've, recently liquidated, but up until, over the last nine years, I had several homes that, of course, had roofs. And I learned from that, and I'm glad I did what I did when I had my moving company, there are these pipes that go up through every roof, from the exhaust fans, from in bathrooms, and from the HVACs, and all these pipes, PVC pipes, metal pipes, go up through the roof. And around them, they put this rubber, that's called a boot and they put tar around the boot to seal it and all that. Well, what happens over time is the rubber ages, becomes dry and brittle, the weather, it gets weathered, and it starts leaking. And one of the things that a roofer, a good roofer is gonna do is when he walks the roof of the warehouse, he's gonna really look at those boots. And those need to be replaced on a regular basis. Like they may have a, my experience was they last like five to eight years and that's where you're going to have most leaks happen around those areas protected by the boots so you got to have the warehouse um, roof inspected and the other thing is this we were constantly walking the floor the entire floor of the warehouse and we were looking for any symptoms of water like if there's water on the floor then we know there's a leak above there's unless there's a pipe that's leaking and pipes can leak too, of course, but normally it's a drain pipe from the roof that's leaking. So again, that has to, it's a, a roof issue, but just walking the floor on a regular basis and just looking for any semblance or any, any symptoms at all for water damage is going to go a long way. And having your roofs inspected at least once a year.
0: Well, you, you had mentioned, uh, Previously, and I thought it was a really good recommendation from Bo about what else, another measure you can take just as a safety precaution with racked items. I mean, I thought that was really good. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that was brilliant. Thanks for reminding me that. Same wonderful resource, Bo Roscoe, Nagley Moving Storage in Elmira, New York. For all of his open rack storage, he drapes a cover of six mil thick visqueen. That's that thick plastic you can buy at Home Depot and at Lowe's it comes six, I think 10 and 12 thick mil, mil thick uh, thicknesses. You only need six mil thick, and he'll cut it so that it drapes over the top and comes down the sides on both sides of the racks, a foot or two. So that cover is like an umbrella. So if there is a, a leak on the roof and it goes and hits that cover, it's gonna run down the cover onto the floor instead of puddling or wetting the furniture and contents underneath the cover. I thought that was just brilliant. and We never, thank God, we never had a roof leak and we, we didn't need that, but that would have been an extra step we would have taken had I known at the time that that's another measure of safety Minimizing the risk of water damage.
0: Yeah, because the other would be, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, You'd be
1: surprised how much water damage occurs in our industry from leaking roofs. I mean it's it's quite widespread widespread.
0: Well, the thing I was gonna say is, you know, leaking roofs back in the day were the things that you were concerned with, and, and rightfully so, and still today. But I think, you know, Ed, tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think back in the day you were required to have the sprinkler systems that all these buildings are today. You know, we have a certain uh, space between the top of the goods that you're storing to where that sprinkler system is so it can be effective that you can put things, and it needs to have enough space to be effective if the sprinkler system goes off, which means to get water to all of those sprinkler heads up there, there's there's pipes with water potentially in there, and so things can go wrong with that as well.
1: You're right, and we had, we had a sprinklered building, and you're 100% right.
0: So, oh, you did have a sprinkler building. Oh, yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay. I didn't hey, know. That, was, that was 1990, not
1: 1890. Oh, okay.
0: Okay. I'm aging you too much. My fault. <laughs> um, when you had your 45,000 square foot warehouse, did you ever have a problem with critters?
1: How disgusting do you ask me that <laughs> question? Of course not. We were so clean, you could have eaten off our warehouse floor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Well, first of all, we had a pest control company that handled everything thank god but we when we were walking the warehouse floor looking for any droppings from rodents i'm sorry looking for leaks from the roof we would also look for rodent droppings and if we saw them phone call to the pest control company hey we got a problem here and we also had the pest control company put they i think they're called tomcat or these big plastic black boxes that have holes in them and they had rat poison in there. They would have those space around the perimeter, the outside of our building. The idea was keep them out in the first place so they don't enter the building. Again, Bo Roscoe, now be moving his store. Do you think I'm promoting him as a commercial? But there's, he's so smart, I just I gotta give him credit where credit's due. He learned, and what he does at his warehouse facility in Elmira, New York, he put a path, a perimeter, of 12 inches wide gravel around the total outside wall of his warehouse, where there would be grass or weeds or dirt. He said he found out uh, when he worked at Walmart that rodents don't like to walk on gravel; they're <laughs> they
0: They knew the that.
1: Yeah. Why? Well, who would know that? He worked at Walmart. He knew all that. So you. So. They will walk on dirt to walk on weeds and grass, but they won't walk on and and cement to walk on cement, but they won't walk on gravel so he has he he recommends you put a a border around the perimeter where you can put gravel and then he also used those tomcat uh boxes that I was uh, our pest control company used on his loading docks, and he spaced them wherever you know in between all the open doors and, and so that took care of that. He also did something else, which I thought was really smart. All the vaults that he has, he keeps about four or six inches from the walls. They provide a race runway track for the rodents. So if he gets a rodent in his warehouse, they're going to go along that perimeter, that small space. They'll run along that perimeter, and at the end of the run, he has the Tomcat Bait lined box. How smart is that? It's and pretty says, smart. Yeah. From time to time, these you know, these gotta replace the bait because they eat it. How do you like that?
0: I think that's pretty smart. Yep. Guys doing something right. What what about you know, I think about, you know, we, we always are concerned with making sure we have background checks and, and good guys when we send them out to a job site. Uh, because we want to make sure that when we're in somebody's home that our guys are conducting themselves the way they should. Uh, We also can be concerned with that, I would think, you know, with product from our clients that is in our home, making sure, you know, our guys are, are conducting themselves the way they should. Did you ever have an issue, you know, at your place with something getting stolen? Did you have, you know, back in the day in 1890, did they have security cameras? Hey, Rob, <laughs> let me tell you
1: I'm, I'm Ed cats. We only hired honest people. We never hired a thief. You know that.
0: What was I thinking?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I have a bridge in Brooklyn I'd like to sell you. <laughs> well, we had at our dispatch area a billboard that was four feet wide and eight feet tall. I'm not kidding you. And it said $500 reward for information leading to the arrest and felony conviction of anyone who steals from us, the moving company, your, their fellow employees, or the customer, and we would keep it anonymous. Let me tell you, that really worked. I mean, it really was a great deterrent. Most thieves are lazy. They don't want to have to work and work at a place where they might get caught, you know? So that was a great, great uh, tool that we used. But I will tell you a true story now that you brought that up. We had a huge break room that would seat a hundred people and we had a kitchen attached to it and that was for the movers that had vending machines. And then they had their own kitchen with everything that full kitchen would have. So, and in the South, unlike other parts of the country, a lot of the movers that worked for us, they would bring a healthy lunch to work and they I I called it in a sack, but it would be in, in Tupperware and they put it in the refrigerator. And then in between jobs or if they got back early enough, they they would eat the lunch they had stored in the kitchen in the refrigerator. Well, one day, one of my employees came to me and said, Mr. Katz, somebody stole my lunch. And I'm thinking, come on, this is Ed Katz's company. We only hire honest people. He's mistaken. I kind of blew it off. I ignored him. Three days later, another employee came to me and said, Mr. Katz, somebody stole my lunch from the refrigerator. Well I'm thinking we have a major problem because if somebody's going to steal a lunch out of the refrigerator from a fellow employee what's going to happen when they're out on a job and there's some customers you know suit jacket or sport jacket hanging on a hook on the back of his office door with his wallet in it or a, a customer's pocketbook is on the floor with her wallet in it and I got a guy stealing lunches from our fellow employees I got a problem so meanwhile over the next week and a half three or four or five lunches are being stolen so i call everybody together saturday morning before we dispatch at the dispatch board and i point to that 500 hundred dollar reward that we have posted i said okay we have a thief working at our company and i want him i said to myself i want him dead or alive i didn't say <laughs> that before. i didn't want to go to prison the rest of my life but i wanted him out of the company and I said, "You see that five hundred dollar reward?" I said, "Forget it, it's gone. It's now a thousand dollars." I'm going to turn up the burner, aren't I? I'm pretty smart. Do you know the next day another lunch was stolen? Really? I couldn't believe it. Three weeks later, I'm up to three thousand dollars, and I'm still having my sermon on the mount at the dispatch board on a Saturday morning. It's now three thousand dollars. One day I get lucky, like. It's Monday or Tuesday, about 11 o'clock in the morning. We've already dispatched all the crews. We don't have another crew coming in until later in the afternoon. I go through the break room on the way to the warehouse, and out of the corner of my eye, I see one of my employees hiding behind the door leading into the kitchen. Now, you know, it's 11 o'clock in the morning. We have no dispatching at that time on that day. And one of my employees is hiding, I said, I got my thiefs. I go up to him and I said, what are you doing there? And he doesn't say anything. I I said, what are you doing hiding behind the door? He never answers me. He picks up his hand and he points his finger. And I, I look where he's pointing. And on one of the break room tables, he's put bait. He has taken his lunch that's in Tupperware, and he's put it on the break room table. He thinks that he's going to catch the guy or woman, whatever, who's stealing the lunches and get (laughs) $3,000.
0: Hey, I I admire the ambition, absolutely.
1: Anyhow, we never caught the thief, but I will tell you, one of my employees quit without notice. Apparently, I turned a burner up high enough that he left, and after that person left, we never had another theft after that so
0: but the sign stayed of, up
1: the sign stayed up it's 500 and no, i never changed the sign it was still always 500 it's just for right right the water. I, we wanted him out and the sign really works and the other thing is today with modern technology if you can afford to put cameras video cameras that record 24 7 inside your warehouse and around the perimeter it'll pay off in the long run it's a great deterrent, and if they know they're being videotaped, I guess at a minimum put dummy cameras up there that are just fake. You can buy those too, and um, they work. They really will help catch anybody that's a potential.
0: Yeah, I think today's world the the cost for cameras have come down. You know, as technology continues to improve, uh, no doubt. I think most warehouses, most offices have some type of video surveillance. So. I agree with you. That's that's the best deterrent that you can have. And, and putting signs up that say you're being recorded so you can you yep. know, not have to deal with it. Yep. Um, but let's talk about this. Maybe not stolen, but did you ever have an issue where you, you know you brought something into your warehouse and now the client's asking for it and you're going, where in the world did we put that? Because you said you didn't have a great inventory system back in the day. How do you, how do you resolve having, you know, knowing you brought something in but going, where in the world did I put it?
1: I know. Oops. Like, why is it not with this section, Yeah. this shelf, this area where all the other furniture is? Oh, yeah, of course we misplace things. And um, I didn't have a system for it back in the day because we didn't take inventory. However, after talking to many of my clients, one of whom works for Darrell Flood in Austin, Texas, I believe he's in Austin, Chase, Chase. Makashim, am I pronouncing Chase's last name correctly, I hope?
0: You are, and he's in Austin, and uh, I would say he works for Sutteth now. Oh, he works for Sutteth.
1: (laughs) Even better. Uh, He is really smart. He's from the school that I'm from, and that is you can't manage what you don't measure. Every week, he will take his warehouse supervisor and foreman with him, and he will walk through the warehouse and randomly stop in front of a row or rack of furniture, take out the software that they have and say, okay, on this rack, we're supposed to have this customer's furniture. So he measures so he can manage. In other words, with that warehouse supervisor and foreman, he is making sure that they know that he's going behind them and it better be right. And 99% of the time, because they know that he's going to go behind them, Measuring it's right, and if you don't do that on a regular basis, then people are going to take shortcuts, they're not going to put it in, in the right area, and then you're going to misplace it and try to start finding something in a 45,000 square foot or more 100,000 square foot warehouse. Uh, it's almost like it was stolen because you can't find it. And I mean, it's, it's sad, but that's why you got to do what Chase does. Kudos to Chase, right?
0: Absolutely absolutely
1: another thing he recommended and and a lot of my clients agree with this too keep the household good storage separate from the commercial storage it's too much going on too much traffic in you know mixing together it makes it all the work something that's complex and difficult and challenging to begin with you're making it worse by commingling the two types of moves so keep the household good in one section, one area in the warehouse, and keep the commercial furniture storage in another. And that was another idea from from Chase. Thank you, Chase.
0: And I think no matter the size of your warehouse, you should be able to do that. You know, absolutely. Right, yes. Well, what else, Ed? Do you have anything else, you know, to our listeners you'd like to offer, um, If something you can think of that you might offer to our listeners?
1: In my small brain, you now know everything that I know, but I will tell you this. I do have... Uh, a sample warehouse storage contract that I'll be more than happy to share with our listeners if they email me at edkatz, E-D-K-A-T-Z, at the word office, O-F-F-I-C-E, the word moves, M-O-V-E-S, dot com, I'll send them this sample, and I'm going to say I say it in writing, and I'll say it to you orally right now. I'm not an attorney. I'm not a CPA. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just the former owner of a moving company, so I'm not giving you any legal advice or any financial advice, but I will share this sample of a really well-written current um, warehouse storage contract that could probably help you. Have less headaches. How's
0: that sound? Very nice of you, Ed. I'm sure everybody will, will appreciate that for sure. Yeah. Give him the. <laughs> uh, well, I had fun recording this episode as we always do, Ed. I appreciate you coming on and we get to have these conversations. Always look forward to these.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the commercial relocation happy hour. And until our next episode, Go sell another move.